0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the eighth episode of Random Musings. Uh, If you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please do uh, subscribe to our podcast. And thank you for all the love uh, that you've given to the last seven episodes. Uh, If you're watching it on YouTube, hi. Today's uh, guest is someone that I admire the most as a comedian and as a writer. And uh, we have back-to-back people from Calcutta after Rani Bandhas in the last episode. Today's uh, comedian, today's guest is also a fantastic, fantastic person from the City of Joy. Give it up for Sarav Mehta.
1: Woo! Hello, buddy. Hi, Thank so you love. so much for having me. Buddy, uh, I can't believe you made this programming error, but here Hi. I am. Thank you so much. <laughs>
0: okay uh, let's head straight into our conversation sort of one of the things I've explored a lot in this series so far is a uh, hometown of people like where they come from where their childhood was spent because I genuinely feel that sort of shapes everyone's life uh, and uh, before I even talk about Calcutta I want to talk about a very specific place in Calcutta okay to give context to people uh, when it comes to higher education when it comes to colleges there are many colleges in India, which everyone in India knows of, like they're nationally famous, but there are very few schools that are nationally famous, you know, you think of uh, schools like Mayo College has made, or you think of Doon School, Dera Dune, or BPS Arkepur, Bombay Scottish, uh, PSBB Chennai, etc, etc. Uh, one school that I've seen right from my childhood, because I used to follow all the quiz shows like BQC and ESPN Sports uh, quiz, etc. And... Uh, That school, I will never forget. That school had so much... I was so much in awe, you know, of this school called Lamartmeer, Calcutta. Okay. Uh, In fact, I'll tell you a a very interesting thing that the first time I went to Calcutta, it was in 2013 or 14 while I was still working. So it was a business trip. And I met my friend from Calcutta, incidentally also named Saurav. Okay, Saurav Bhattacharya in that case. And I asked Saurav to, apart from like, he was showing me all the traditional touristy places like uh, uh, like Victoria Memorial or Howda Bridge and everything. And I said, can you please show Lamart near Calcutta to me? And he was like, Math school, con uh-huh. <laughs> Like I really wanna see. So we, we, we saw it from like the ground floor, so to speak, from the road. And then he said, I'll give you a better view. So we went to the, there is a flyover, right? Right next yeah, to the yeah, school. Yeah. And we stopped his bike and he said, <laughs> I've never done like school as a touristy thing Ooh, ever. Yeah. And uh, I have met a few people from near, uh in my life and I've been equally impressed with all of them. So it has lived. Up to its hype, so to speak. But you're the first person from the school on, on random music. So, why not uh, start with Lamatnya Calcutta? sir? I would love to hear your opinion on your school, how it shaped your life. Is it, is it the Lamatnya that's in my mind, or is it not worth the hype? Anything that you want to talk about the school, uh, over to you, sir.
1: So, obviously, I bring a totally unbiased view about my amazing school. And uh, I will just tell you how amazing it is. But I genuinely love my school, okay? And uh, it's like, you know how people love football clubs or, I don't know, they love celebrities or anything besides your country and family in a way. If there's one thing that I really love and really admire and I'm really glad that I was part of it is my school. And there are like a lot of reasons for it. Because, uh, I mean, starting with just to give you and people some background, like, uh, I mean, you know, my family, uh, growing up, we weren't, like, upper-middle class. We were kind of, uh, not lower-middle class, but somewhere in between of those two. And, you know, to go to a school like La Martiniere was literally, like, me lucking out. Uh, And I genuinely mean this, uh, because the way, like, my life would have been if I hadn't gone to La Martiniere would have been very different. Uh, I'm not saying it would have been better or worse, but it would have been very different. And I am glad that it went this way. Because growing up, like my school has in many ways given me everything that you require to, you know, take risks, be smart, be considerate, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And I know it sounds a little like hyperbole. And you know me in general, I don't go so hyperbole about anything. But for me, the school did have that kind of an impact because... You know, like, in for example, I was sent to the school because my mom, okay, she studied in Gujarati all her life. And then suddenly in college, they changed the curriculum to English. Okay, So my mom had this revolution in her head that one day when I have a child, I will send him or her to English school. So she sent me to the school. Firstly, the odds of someone like me getting an admission uh, from my family, I think, are not that high. And then we... Somehow, I don't know, God's grace or something happened. Hopefully, my parents didn't bribe anyone. Not that I'm aware of. That's just a bad joke. Anyone from the Martini Authority, if they're watching. Uh, But yeah, and it happened. And the reason I think it played such an important role is, you know, it's a little bit like a cult. Uh, And let me explain that, okay? Because you're a kid. You know, growing up, you just kind of imbibe the energy. I think more than specific words, you kind of imbibe just the you know energy that people are giving you. So every morning in assembly, they used to keep telling us, you know, this great PR monologue that you had for my school. That's essentially what they told us, that you guys are special. You guys are supposed to be this. You guys are best. And so we were like, yeah, maybe we are. We weren't. But, you know, if someone keeps telling you, you're like, yeah, maybe we do things. Okay. And then, of course, you know, you look at your seniors and what used to happen was, like, in Calcutta also, like, School had this air, okay. That dude, we're from La Martinia, we're Martinians, we're Martinians, don't mess with us, okay. Not in a like a fighting way or anything, but like we used to go for fests or anything that we're best. So I think that confidence kind of translated to me growing up, like even this communication. Uh, it's any communication skills that I've picked up are from my school, and this confidence that you know I keep harping on is because you know you've lived enough life now most of the decisions are based on confidence. Most of people getting impressed by you or, you know, you taking the leap of faith sometimes is is just confidence. And in that moment, you don't know if things are going to work out or not. But because, you know, from childhood, people have been telling you, no, there's something in you. We don't know if there is or not. But, you know, that placebo kind of works. So, like, I've done some random things in life and I feel like every place that I've reached in, I don't think I would have reached there if, uh, you know, I I wasn't part of this school. So that, uh, Lamartine for Calcutta, if uh, the principal or anyone's watching, send me the, okay? Yeah, thank you.
0: (laughs) You also do talk about Lamartine in your stand-up, of, and you're obsessed with some of the uh, notorious slash famous (laughs) uh, alumni of Lamartine, right? But yeah, someday people will see that on YouTube whenever it releases. Uh, I want to go further back in time, uh, Saurabh, and since you mentioned that your mom studied Gujarati all her life, and that also makes you unique in some sense that you're from Calcutta, but you're not a Bengali, okay?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Did did that have an impact in your life, like your Gujarati roots and, you know, some of the things that you might have learned? Because, uh, again, like I've said this before on the series, that no matter how much you deny your ethnicity or your culture or where you come from it does play a part whether consciously or subconsciously in our life and uh, i'm sure we'll talk about your childhood in calcutta etc later but i just want to go chronologically and i am very interested to know do you ever feel at this stage now that somewhere you being uh, originally a gujju or a gujarati did it did it uh, play any role in your life or things that you learned that you think you learned because you were a gujarati
1: but 100% you know, uh, growing up, you don't realize, like you're saying, you don't realize the impact your community or your relatives uh, are having. You just think it's your parents. But even the way I think community to community, how uh, you know parents bring up their child kind of reflects much later, I feel. So for me, as stereotypical as it sounds, I feel like I am fairly good with money. Uh, even mm-hmm. if I'm not earning a lot, I do end up saving a lot. I'm very meticulous about my investments. I have emergency fund. You know, we've had discussions about stocks, vo Dale, everything. That's all my Gujar roots. And you know, a lot of these risks also that I've been able to take, like quitting my business and just suddenly landing up in Bombay to do stand up, even quitting my job initially, uh, and things like that. You know, to To a lot of people, it might seem random. And uh, even to me at that time, you're not sure of the outcome. But one of the reasons that I'm able to take those decisions is because, you know, these these financial, uh, you know, like mindset that you have kind of helps you because you know that, okay, I have enough funds to let me take this risk for one or two years. okay. And I'm not one of those people who, I, I need some sense of stability and balance. I need some sense of backup. I'm not one of those, you know, super talented or super ambitious people that, dude, I'm going to give up everything and from tomorrow, let's do this. No, I need, I need some sort of a plan at least, some sort of, okay, there's a, you know, a safety net in a way. And there is where my Guju uh, roots totally, shape, uh, totally come in and uh, uh, recently, and this is going to sound and I'm a little embarrassed saying it, uh, but this is my peak Gujarati view of life. I feel like, you know how stock prices move in the stock market? I feel like that's how our life works. Uh, where, if you see how stock prices move, right? They're not just always going up. They go up, they come down. For a lot of time, they just stay flat. Then they again go down. And I think, uh, and you know, all the gains that happen are like lumpy. They come in a day or two days or a week as such. And I think as, as poetic or wanna be poetic as it sounds. I feel like much like life, much of life is like that. You know, there are times when you feel you're going down. You're putting in a lot, a lot of work, but you feel like nothing is changing personally, money-wise, anything. But then suddenly, you know, there's one day something happens. It's one call. It's you know Kumar Varun saying, "Hey, come on, random musings." It's uh, you know Abhi saying, "Hey, come write for me." Anything, you know, it's just like one day, one hour can change everything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's my uh, yeah.
0: Guju impact on my life. So true so true in fact you and I have had long discussions about uh, pragmatic decisions when it comes to making money and having an emergency fund and planning your life uh, around these things and not take like take leap of faith but like have a safety yeah
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: you talked about uh, while you were saying you casually said how uh, you had you quit your job and you quit your business and you quit everything so why not why not uh, why not set everything in place with my next question, which is the classic, how comedy happened, okay? Because I know that you were, like we discussed, you grew up in Calcutta, Lamartineer, and then you studied in Bangalore, I guess, in Christ College. And then uh, you had a job. It's a very good, high-paying pay, high job. So how did comedy happen? How did, how did you end up in Bombay doing stand-up and writing and everything else? Take, take me through that journey, sir. So
1: basically, you know, I was in Hyderabad. I'd been uh, doing a job for about four years. The job was great money was fairly good i was also doing well but i think like much of us, like you know like most of us i didn't want to boss all my life and i think again the gujarati roots also come in my dad used to keep telling me that what all your life you just want a boss like. Uh... so then one day i was like you know what i'm gonna quit my job and i was like let's see the plan at that time was i'm gonna go back to calcutta and see if i like my dad's business or not so that to figure out future. And the other thing that I wanted to do at that time was I wanted to study for my GMAT and I had basically not done my MBA because the plan was I wanted to go abroad and do my MBA. Okay. Till then I had uh, done everything to kind of help me build an MBA profile, you know, because these schools out there. So I came uh, back to Calcutta and um, after that compared to a job, you do have more time, even though you're working with your dad. So, I used to do a lot of, you know, theater and I used to do a lot, like, I used to be funny even in school and everything. So, when I came back, just for some reason, I, I started putting up Facebook posts. Like, I used to put up one-liners and a lot of my friends started liking them and more than, you know, normal. Uh, at that time, even I understood engagement. Even if I didn't have it, I understood, you know, social media engagement. So, I was like, oh, this is good. And then what I started doing was all those updates because on Facebook, a lot of times, people just copy paste, right? So, I was like, man, I They need to know that I wrote it. I wrote it. Okay. So I just started using a hashtag thing, hashtag original. And then what happened is as I got more traction, then I made a page on Facebook called hashtag original. And I used to start, I started posting things there. And uh, some of the things went viral. So I was like, man, maybe, maybe there's something there. And while that was happening, because I was back in Calcutta, you know, I, uh, like I was looking to do theater. I was looking to do other things also so one of my friends was organizing a concert for pen masala uh, it's that uh, a cappella band right so mm. he was getting them down to calcutta for two shows and um, he was like listen there are two breaks in the show and i don't i don't have anything you know to fill fill those uh, breaks and i don't have budget you know uh, nothing's changed as <laughs> such but uh, so he was like do you want to do stand up you know you used to do stand-up. I was like, yeah, why not? So me and this another friend from school, we used to do stand-up, those kind of things in school. So we were like, yeah, let's do it. So Because at that time you don't know that writing a set takes time. So just agreed to do 10 minutes of stand-up at GD Villa Sabhagar, which has like 600 people. So it should have been thought of a little bit more, I feel, in hindsight. But, you know, just wrote something in like a day or two and, uh, you know, it had been long since kind of held a mic in from a performance point of view, right? So we were like, where are these open mics happening? Let's let's figure out, okay? Me and my other friend. And we found one open mic. And there was sort of Ghosh there uh, at the open mic. And we were just new people. We were like, hey, we want to do and all. And buddy then did the open mic there. It went well, went over time. But I was killing it. Like, honestly, all the other comics on that day were bombing. I'm sorry, guys, but you know, you all were... So I think Bhosh also let me, like, new guy, let, let him, you know, go. Uh, like So let me do one or two minutes more. Then show went well. Uh, and at the show, another friend of mine saw me. Uh, it's a little bit of how nepotism helps, guys. And he was organizing a show with Kenny. And this was at Kala Mandir with 1,000 people. And he was like, hey, I don't have a host. Uh, there's an opening act, but I don't have a host. Uh, don't have budget. So would you want to do it? I said, yes, of course. Uh, uh, so... And I was so new to comedy back then that, firstly, again, agreeing to a thousand seater is not, is not good thinking. And I was so new that I didn't even use my earlier set. I wrote a new set thinking that in stand-up, you can't repeat sets just from one show to another show. So I wrote a full new set. And again, one day before the performance, I just landed up at the open mic. And Bhush is like, again, you're here? What is happening? I was like, I have one more show. And he's like, which one? I was like, opening for Kenny. Because again, at that time, I didn't realize that, you know, to even open for someone like Kenny, you need to go through the process. You need tight five minutes. You need to climb up the ladder. So I just went, performed again uh, on the show day. Thankfully, luck or whatever it was, the uh, show went very well. And I remember, you know, meeting Kenny also backstage. And he was like, hey, man, you've been doing it for long. I was like, no, it's been uh, literally two shows. Like this and that and two more open mics. And that happened. So then I was like, okay, maybe I can, you know, do stand-up. So then I, I started, you know, just attending a few more open mics in Calcutta. And what I used to do that time was just randomly, uh, I used to message all these comics, okay, like Abish, Tanmay, uh, Papa CJ, Veer das, anyone I'd heard of or who had come down to Calcutta, I used to just message them saying, hey, either give me an opening spot and then I got a little more greedy, so I was like, you know, what if I get a writing gig in Bombay? Because I, I know Ghosh and everyone used to talk about how Bombay's comedy scene, you need to go do spots there. So I was like, what if I get a writing gig? And uh, also I'll try comedy there, you know, two, three months, see what happens. So I messaged like this, and uh, I remember Tanmay uh, said that I'll send a copy test, and I was too lazy, so I didn't do the copy test. Abish, for some reason, just said yes. Like, I'll send a link of my stand-up and, uh, you know, my jokes that I've written on that page and everything. And he agreed to meet me. He was performing in Calcutta for some show. He met me. And then he gave me a writing job at Son of Abish. So I must tell everyone out there that Abish is a great recruiter. But in terms of hiring process, he needs to improve. Because it nothing. I just sent a text. And he's like, yeah, you seem funny. And he was so sweet. Uh, he met me in Calcutta. And then he said, yeah, come to Bombay for three months, uh, what do you call there's a writing gig for you of course it didn't pay very well and you know at that time he was like hey it only pays this much and all but i was just looking at a fun like three month break so then i came to bombay and you know sarah started it was supposed to be a three month writing gig and then you know how one thing leads to another and uh, here i am about three and a half years later
0: oh man i i just uh, there are just so many things Uh, that you know I keep finding patterns in people and I remember Anirban Dasgupta in the last episode said how he out of nowhere randomly ended up in the same auditorium that you talked about his first open mic was in GD Builder and uh, even yours was there wow, wow, crazy (laughs) oh man and then sort of uh, comic sun happens right? you're doing comedy in Bombay you're writing for Son of a Beast you're doing open mic I remember you from those days and uh, you're killing it and uh, everything is great and then Comic Stan happens. So, I want to talk about Comic Stan, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my perspective there is that Comic Stan or such events or such competitions uh, do help people in getting an exponential jump. Uh, and I, I want to explain what I mean is that when you do something at a set process, uh, they, you do have a growth, but it's linear. Okay, you need some external factor to somehow, whether a viral video or just some amazing, you land at the right place at the right time or, or one video or something that you somewhere you appear and it's, you suddenly become famous but otherwise it's a it's a linear this thing like i believe i relate to it more because my career so to speak started because of a competition because rahul and i went to youtube comedy hunt and we won so suddenly um prepared to a normal route maybe that gave me an accelerated path or or a, an express entry entry into comedy uh, and when comic had first come, people a lot of a lot of us were talking about it because this was this new thing where um, a bunch of comedians and all pretty successful in their own right uh, were competing against each other. And uh, and you're again the first Comic-Stan uh, sort of, uh, uh, how do I put it, uh, uh, a student from the School of Comic-Stan to appear on random musings. Uh, and a, a Comic-Stan alumnus, that's, that's one way to put it. Uh, so... Uh, I now want your opinion on how that journey was. How do you think it helped you? How do you anything about Comic-Star?
1: I mean, firstly, when they had approached us for Comic-Star, nobody had any idea that it would be this big. Uh, at that time, even doing shows like this was, should you do it? Should you not do it? Uh, I'm sure you remember a lot of people were like, maybe this is not the way to go. Uh, you know, like people were giving a lot of that advice. But for me at that time, like, I remember I was some eight months into comedy. So I was like, I don't have much to lose anyway. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, like people were concerned that, oh, my material will go away and everything. I had five minutes then, you know, at max seven minutes. So I was like, that's okay. So comic start for me that way was great for two reasons. One was, like you said, it gave me a push uh, so early in my career, which is kind of still helping. Uh, because I haven't really put out any videos after comic so it, it, it definitely helped in that way. But more than that, I feel like because I was so new into stand-up at that point, it kind of made me realize that, you know what, I can do it. Because we were literally writing a set in a week, which, as you know, takes so much more time otherwise. Uh, even yeah. I am testament to that. After comic I have just extreme, been extremely lazy, you know, compared to like there in a week, we were churning out four minutes, five minutes, and it was fairly tight. Uh, mm. So that, so more than anything, it really helped me in realizing that, you know what, maybe you can give this profession a try a little more seriously, because you may not be the best, you may be this, you may be that, but you do have something which is working constantly. Because till then, you know, you're just doing open mics, and I was still so new that you're not even sure if you're funny-funny. One is being funny, mm. like, you know, just with your friends. The other is, can I do this professionally? Am I funny enough to, you know, even if it's at a small scale, can I do that? And Comic-Stan helped me, you know, kind of understand that, that, okay, this is maybe my cup of tea and I mm. should go ahead with comedy.
0: And then, uh, of course, comic happens and then you continue doing uh, open mic and comedy and you're obviously slightly more or maybe exponentially more popular than before comic time but uh and i'm so happy that we want to talk about it next is uh the topic of writing okay uh because when you look at stand-up comedy from outside uh someone might think that going on stage and making jokes is the only way uh you make money in stand-up okay apart from like once you reach a certain stage you make branded shoots and branded posts etc etc et uh, but a lot of time uh lot of comedians do writing gigs, especially at initial part of their career, where like you started saying, you said you wrote for Son of a Abish and you wrote for a lot of other comedians and other brand projects, etc. So a lot of people from outside might feel that once you're doing stand-up, you're only on stage and you're, you're, you know, going there and cracking jokes. And I don't know how much you're earning or how do you earn, etc, etc, etc. You don't earn much. Let me be very uh, clear with anyone who's watching this. You don't earn much just doing open mics. There's no way you can earn much. But there's one good way of earning money, which is writing, okay? Which is wherein uh, you either write for branded projects or you write for other comedians projects or, or uh, for variety shows, like like you said, Son of Abish. It is one way to earn money in comedy, okay? Which a lot of people don't know about when they look at stand-up comedy from outside. And you are one of the most prolific writers in in Indian comedy uh, for the past more than I I think at least three years. Because I remember we worked on a project together for a brand. And uh, I know that you constantly work for a lot of branded projects, etc. I feel it's a good opportunity for us to discuss uh, this aspect of a stand-up comedian's career. Because for anyone who is planning to start a career in stand-up comedy, I think this will be very, very helpful. And there's no one better than you to talk about it. So Sarabha, I want to know from you about writing about writing as a profession, about writing as a way of making money, apart from doing a comedy on stage?
1: Firstly, Bombay is expensive. Yeah, that's that's point number one. So, um, writing is, like you said, a great, I think, side gig for people who want to do stand-up. And uh, like you said, and we've discussed this a number of times, you know, making money in stand-up initially is very difficult. It's close to zero. Because... Most open mics don't pay. Uh, You're not really, people aren't really going to pay good money to see you because you're not famous yet. So unless, you know, you put out a video and you go viral, you're not going to get shows that pay you enough to lead a fairly good life. So writing that way is a great, I would say, actually a great hack to continue doing stand-up without the pressures of continuously being like, Man, is my emergency fund going to get over? Man, should I get a real job? Anything. This is the closest you can have to, you know, both having the cake and eating the cake. Uh, You know, when I came to Mumbai, I, of course, came uh, via, you know, like, uh, Abhish gave me an opportunity to write in Son of Abhish. And so for me, that kind of opened the door to doing stand-up. And then once that gig got over also, I was like, okay, if I want to hang around, I mean... I had been earning fairly decent money for seven years so i was like i can't not earn at all uh, it has to start so then i just because i'd written son of abish and also i saw other comics also doing it like anirban you know also started like that used to write a lot and everything so i started picking up writing gigs because i was like you know this is a good way to at least maintain a decent cash flow i'm not saying that you have to love stand, uh, love. You have to love writing. Like writing is not the number one reason why I'm in Mumbai. It's always going to be stand up. That is the real love. But this kind of you know helps me continue doing that. And even you know like like you said branded projects and everything. Uh, you know a lot of times I'm not saying a lot of brands come to me, but even on Instagram and everything, a lot of times you don't want to do branded stuff. Okay, but a lot of times the bank balance dictates your decisions, and I kind of, you know, use writing the money that I get from writing as a, as a cover that, okay, I don't have to do like anything and everything just because I need money. And also another thing that kind of helps you in writing is dude, you get to write with so many fantastic people, you know, and like, I have learned so much initially when even as a stand up initially, like I've written with for like everyone and everyone. Okay. So you learn so much because even when you're in a writer's room, say if it's a bigger show or even if say you're just writing for another comedian and he or she is giving you feedback, you're like, oh, yeah, I never noticed that. And you don't have to write them as notes, but you will see over years that it it helps your craft. It helps your craft. So that way, writing is something that I think a lot of people who want to come and, you know, uh, pursue stand-up should definitely, I think, give this a shot.
0: And then uh, when you were talking about, uh, I found one small thing somewhere there where you said that one of your plans was to go uh, to go to the US or somewhere else to do your MBA. You thought you'll uh, take GMAT and go abroad. That obviously didn't happen. But I know you went to Harvard for some reason. What was that about? Like, how did how did Sora Mehta end up in Harvard and what happened there? I'm really curious to know.
1: Man, I Mehta, ending up at Harvard is the randomest line I think you have said in a long, long time. Uh, So I used to work, my job, I used to work for this uh, computational biochemistry research lab. And uh, I used to do recruitment for them. But back-end recruitment and sourcing, which includes profiling and things like that. But uh, it also involved a lot of interaction with, you know, their New York team and scientists. And I think as a perk, essentially, people used to do well they used to send us to New York for a, like, you know, for a few weeks there. And during one of those trips, uh, uh, that was around the, like America has this system, right? That they, uh, around like uh, fall, they have a bunch of career fairs. So, and our, and my company used to essentially only hire from Ivy Leagues or that kind of uh, colleges. Okay. So there was a career fair at Harvard and they were like, hey, do y'all want to go to this career fair? And we were like, yes of course so we landed up at Harvard we were there with our New York boss and our team boss and being at Harvard was kind of surreal because and even that job in general was surreal because you are judging people who are genuinely far smarter than you and there is no shame in admitting that they are leaps and bounds smarter than you and imagine you I taking the CV and being like nah and that's, that's another level of like power that should not be given I feel to people like me but uh, yes going to harvard is kind of freaky because just walking around there and you're like man i would have like what is happening and sure. to be fair though at that time essentially uh, th- and this is going to sound a little crazy and maybe too confident but somewhere deep down i was cocky enough to believe that uh, mba also you know i'll get into harvard or stanford or something not possible now in hindsight that I look at it but I was cocky enough at that time to believe it so I was like wow if it doesn't actually happen here I am.
0: Oh man that's such a wonderful story because uh, you know it's unfair story you know what I mean it's one of those things where you're like I I, I used to have so many these conversations when I used to work in a corporate like setup and we used to think like Life is not fair, dude. And then this story just uh, sort of uh, sort of corroborates that theory. He, mm, men meta from, uh, I know Lamartineer is a great school, but let's not judge like how it catches. <laughs> but on a serious note, that's very relatable. And I, and I don't talk about this phase of my life much often. But when I was working in my first job post-MBA, there was a point and if comedy hadn't happened, if I hadn't met Rahul Subranian, I would have for sure, uh, I would have ended up in, in a B school in the US because I was... Very serious about, uh, if not a B school, some masters in the US, because there was a point where I really wanted to, you know, maybe go to uh, Wharton or Harvard or UPenn or, you know, any of those colleges. And it just struck me when I said this, because when I went to Boston last to last year, one of the things that was on top of my agenda was to go and see Harvard Business School and like Harvard University. I took a photo also sitting outside there. And uh, yeah, so from Lamartine to Harvard, uh, what a <laughs> what a wonderful loop <laughs> has closed. Um, age is something that I really want to talk about uh, with you, Sarav, because we have discussed it offline. So why not do it online as well? Is that there are things that you learn or you realize only with age. Uh, and let me explain that. There are some processes and learnings that cannot be expedited again just like when we talked about comedy uh, or any career where either an external factor comes and helps you grow the same thing happens in life as well unless a drastic life experience happens when you're young assuming every you are having a very normal average life there are something you will only learn through age. unless say you are you lose one of your parents when you are really young then your life drastically changes or or you meet with an accident or some sort of weird experience happens. But for the sake of this discussion and saying an average life of an average human, when you're in 20 and when you're at 30, your, your life perspective or the way you look at things, the way you approach things completely changes. And I've uh, touched upon it in this series as well with, with Rahul, I remember where we said, uh, how we look at life now in a very different way than how we used to look at it in our early 20s. You uh, are one of those people who, uh, who I talk a lot about uh, how we look at comedy, how we look at money, how we look at internet, how we look at making content. There are so many things that you and I will not do uh, because we've reached a stage where some things just don't seem exciting enough or, or enticing enough uh, to be done. And of course, uh, our approach towards relationship, towards uh, family, our priorities in life, they keep evolving. And no matter how much you tell someone who is younger than you, or especially significantly younger than you, they will not realize what you're saying. Because we were the same when we were at yeah. that age. I'm not saying we are very old, but, we, but all I'm saying is every year, with every passing year, your approach changes, your life changes. Uh, I want to know your perspective in terms of comedy, in terms of life how do you think age has sort of affected the way you approach things
1: that's the thing you know when you're in your 20s and say someone like us in their early 30s comes and gives gyan you're like i'll be different then you reach your 30s and you're like no that guy or girl was right and i think that's essentially what has happened where a lot of the stereotypes again are true like in my 20s uh i was so much more confident i i was i was definitely dumber i was definitely poorer but man i had confidence i was like i can achieve anything and everything as opposed to now when i am definitely smarter compared to who i was earlier i definitely i'm definitely wealthier than what you know i was earlier but now in many ways i feel the confidence kind of drops and it's not just fear People say that, oh, it's fear of failing or... It's not that. It's just, I think somehow age kind of does calm your adrenaline in a way. Uh, if I was younger and I had, you know, spent two or three years without releasing a stand-up uh, clip, man, that would have not been okay. I- I'm not talking about any external pressures and I'm not saying it's still right or wrong. It's, it's, you should definitely upload it, but I'm saying... The older me can still process it, I feel. That, yes, things are maybe not going the way it should have been. You're maybe not doing the things that you should be. But it's not a textbook. There will be phases when you kind of... when Even if you want to do things for whatever reason, things are not happening. It's you being lazy. Uh, it's things not working out, whatever. But I think age kind of gives you that you know, understanding that you know sometimes you will miss buses you can't catch all the buses. You will miss them. You can either keep, you know, feeling pain about the fact or be like, okay, maybe this is what it is right now. I hope it improves. I'll work towards it improving. But if it doesn't, I still got to have fun. I still got to live my life. You know? And uh, that's why I think even the pragmatic element kind of, you know, kicks in and it helps you uh, That you're like, because dude, everything, everyone you talk to all the time is negative, including yourself. Uh, And age, I think at times, right, when it's becoming too much, when you, you find yourself in that hole, I feel like the experience of age kind of tells you, listen, there have been times when you've had a breakup and you thought you'll never find a girl, you found a girl. There have been times when your boss told you you're an idiot but then you ended up getting the best promotion or the best hire. There have been times when people told you you're not funny, but then you got, you know, the sweetest messages from people saying, hey, you changed my day. So it might be shitty in the moment, but once you zoom out and after a while, it'll be okay. And I think that ability to feel it'll be okay has only come over age for me. But on the flip side, uh, you know, buddy, one of the things that I miss about being younger is the confidence, for sure. Because like we discussed earlier, that you can achieve a lot of things by just backing yourself. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why I love doing stand-up. Because when I am on stage, it's the most uninhibited and it's the most confident version of me. And it's kind of a reflection of who I was earlier. And that's why I love being on stage.
0: Because I'm like, oh,
1: old sorrow is back
0: yeah so true i think with age you you're right you you lose the confidence that you said but you gain surety where you're like it's okay i know i know what i have to do so the external pressures or validations and the so called pressure especially as an artist uh, that those things start affecting you less than it would have affected us if we were in like we were teenagers or like people in our early 20s and like you said, like three years without a YouTube video earlier would have been very, very, uh, very scary, but not much anymore, right? You know, one of the
1: things that I don't think even you remember, okay, but one conversation that a lot of times I play in my head is uh, I am still more hyper than you are, right? I am always like, buddy, it's not not happening, What is happening. And I remember once we were having a conversation that, buddy, what if comedy doesn't work? Should I do this? What if, should I quit stand up in this much time? And you know, what? what what's that thing? And you were like, buddy, why are you worrying? No? Yeah. No? And yeah. buddy, I'm not joking. I remember that so many times. You know, when I'm so under stress and I'm like, what if stand-up doesn't work? What if the writing gigs stop coming? You know, maybe my followers are less. What will happen? And then I remember your vices. I'm like, you know, it's been 11 years of my working life. But somehow
0: always happens yeah.
1: only. To yeah. So I'm like, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I say that to a lot of my friends, because I genuinely believe in it. I, uh, and that also comes from Asian experience, I believe, because you're like, but we managed, right? So we'll manage, because in comedy, especially over the last few years, there was this entire discussion about, oh, this is a bubble. Let's make use of it before, before the bubble bursts and before stand comedy is not a thing anymore. And I'm like, we'll figure, we'll do something else people were saying to an uh, MBA we did when people said do a job we did when pandemic came we we did we, we did our job we're still here yeah. <laughs> we will, something else comes we'll figure we we survived when instagram wasn't there yeah. we're surviving when it's there we'll again if it's not there it's like beach Man, I remember there was a news that instagram will shut down and what will we do and we're like we were there before Instagram very much happy (laughs) we'll be happy later also (laughs) like how is your career entirely dependent on a on a social media platform then you're doing something wrong brother (laughs) like (laughs) oh god yeah that confidence I think with uh, uh, you know uh, I'm digressing a bit but when you succeed in one uh, area in life that sort of also gives you the confidence confidence to succeed in other areas as well you know like you know that I am someone who can do things. I will do things, you know. No need to be like, uh, you know, the the panicky sort. Oh, man. We talked about Harvard. We talked about Gujarat. We talked about Lamartneyer. And I want to circle back and go back to Calcutta because it has to end uh, with Calcutta. We started from there. Now, we still did not talk about your childhood outside Lamartneyer. So, we'll talk about that. And then I'm sure just like our opinion changes about people, uh, about your country, like you said, about humanity in general. With age, I'm sure your opinion about Calcutta would have also changed with with time and with where you are in life and what you want to do in life. So I want to uh, take you back to the city of Calcutta and how you see the city as a kid growing up, and then how you see the city when you're doing comedy there, and how you see the city now when your career is totally not dependent on Calcutta.
1: Growing up, I think Calcutta is an amazing city to be in. Because I think it it gives you a lot of experiences that I'm not saying other cities don't, but have really shaped who I am. Like there is really something in the air of Calcutta. Because even as a kid, I used to be so interested in politics. Not that I wanted to become a politician, but I, w- I was really aware. Like even when I was like, a, you know, in, in class 8, class 9, class 10, I used to watch political stuff, like NDTV used to have those big fights with Radeep Sardis. I used to watch all of that back then, because there is something in the air. And besides that, even, you know, the other thing, like theater, a lot of the reason um, uh, why I am able to do what I am doing right now is because I did a lot of theater growing up in Calcutta and not just performing, but also watching. As kids, we used to randomly go to watch theater didn't understand most of the dialogues, but you're like, oh, mm, mm. tiny, tiny things help. Even something like, there used to be book fairs in Calcutta. I don't know if it's a popular thing in other cities, but there used to be book fairs in Calcutta. And used to just go, that was a legit activity for us. Go half a day, go one a day, and just roam around a book fair. So that way, growing up in Calcutta was amazing. And most of my childhood, anyway, honestly, I just played cricket. Uh... And then I did all these other things. So growing up, it was fantastic. Then I went out. I went to Bangalore. I went to Hyderabad. I worked. Then when I came back after seven years to, again, you know, work with my dad in his business. That's when kind of the reality of Calcutta hit where, uh, you know, you do always hear your parents and relatives saying, man, Calcutta is a very tough place to do business. My mom is from Mumbai and all her life she cribs about how people in, like how my dad, how my family members, how people in Calcutta slew. And I'm like, what is she saying? We are so fast. But then when you come out and then when you go back to Calcutta, you're like, this is a really tough place to work at. And listen, I am not saying it from any bitching point of view or Calcutta sucks or anything like that. But just for me personally, because I had worked outside and... uh, Things are, unfortunately or fortunately, I felt like way more proficient outside. When you come back to Calcutta, the slowness of its work uh, work cycle does get to you You're like, This should happen now. Come on, it's business. There's money on the line. Can we get things moving? But So that's why when I went back to Calcutta again, and you know, yeah, I tried stand-up. I wanted to do GMAT, get out for MB and everything. I think one of the reasons deep down was that I was pretty sure that this is not the city where I want to spend the rest of my life. I can come back here to retire. I still love the city. But this is not where I see myself growing professionally. I remember there was another friend of mine who would also just quit his job and come back. And we were like, bro, this is not happening. We, we need to figure something. Maybe we'll have to do a job again or let's let's make a startup and shift to Bangalore. We were looking for in many ways excuses to get out of the city because... Mm-hmm. Personally, it's great. My parents are there. A lot of my friends are there. It's very comfortable because you know everything out there. But uh, just work-wise, again, and I'm not meaning it in a bitchy way if anyone's watching. I'm not trying to bash Calcutta or anything, but it just didn't work for me.
0: Yeah. No, I I see, like, on my, um, from my purely academic point of view, from all my friends from Calcutta, and there is a clear pattern. Like, all of them love Calcutta, all of them love going there for a few days, yeah. but no one really wants to work there, like even, and I'm not just talking about comedy, it's even people who are doing business, like you said, some of them who have a proper corporate job, like an IT job, would not want to work in the Calcutta office of that company, like they would want to move to Bangalore or Delhi or Bombay, because they are like, yeah, yeah, you know, that that shrug, it's like, yeah. it's, it's a great, like, great city to just maybe spend a few days meet your family members eat have fun but to make a career there it's slightly more difficult it's, it's again uh, i'm with you that yeah. this is just our yeah. very small generalization there are I'm, i assume there are millions exceptions to this this is just our feeling so don't be like <laughs> we love calcutta we love calcutta okay cool uh, so thank you thank you Sora, for coming here and with that we move to the fun part of the of the episode which is called rapid fire uh, rules are very simple. I ask you a question and you answer without thinking. Okay. And then we go, go back to each answer and then you can, if you want to talk about them, you can, you can. Okay. Cool. Uh, rapid fire with Sorob Mehta. Question number one. Favorite Comic Stan contestant?
1: Uh,
0: I think Prashasti. One comedian you look up to? In
1: India, Kanan yeah. Gil. In America, uh, Dave Shupal.
0: Favorite Calcutta restaurant? Barbecue. Recommend one stand-up special.
1: Uh, India, keep it real. Uh, I think Kanan's. And abroad, I really like all the Dave Chappelle specials and also Ronnie Cheng's uh, uh, I forget the name. I think Asian Mm -hmm. Destroyed America or something like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Best thing about dating apps? That you can uninstall them. Best comedian to write for? This one. One thing you want to achieve as a comedian.
1: A stand-up set that I can proudly show to people and not feel
0: cringe while watching. One investment advice to anyone who is watching it. Believe in equity. Favorite cricketer of all time. Ganguly. One advice to anyone listening to this. One, One advice. Plan, but go for it. Okay, cool. We'll quickly go back to all the answers. Favorite Comic stand contestant, you said Prashasti. Yes. Uh,
1: I think reason being, I mean, okay, uh, it's going to sound a little biased, but honestly, the list that popped in my head was uh, Dua, Turi, and Prashasti and all three of them are my friends. So obviously, it's yeah. a little biased. But for me, uh, just as a viewer, I think I hadn't heard someone like Prashasti in terms mm. of her point of view uh, in terms of her take on life and uh, and you know, I just liked how it's storytelling but at the mm. same time it says so much. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, one of the difficulties of doing stand-up is sometimes you want to say things but it's not funny mm. uh, and sometimes you're just funny but I think Prashasti somehow for me uh, gets that balance and also her take in a way is it's different, but at the same time, very relatable for me. She's yeah. an old soul like me, so I get a lot of it. But at the same time, because of her upbringing and background mm-hmm. and her you know, life in general, it's very mm-hmm. fresh for me. So on Comic-Stan, I think I I enjoyed her stuff. Yeah. yeah,
0: so true. So true. One comedian you look up to, uh, and this is now becoming a pattern in in, in Random Music. You picked Kanam Gill and you picked Dave Chappelle. Do you want to talk about them?
1: I mean... Uh, again in India uh, in terms of people doing stand-up just in English there are very few choices and that's not the reason I've chosen Kanan but I'm saying there are very few choices Uh, and Kanan is in many ways I think a comedian that you'd want to be and by that I don't mean just in terms of the style or everything but just the way he approaches art just the way I've seen his specials and everything it's in a way the closest uh, it comes to what I would want to do with my career, also how he's on Instagram, you get it? He's quite irreverent, he's not like posting yeah. all the time or anything. So, uh, just as a comedian, it's very aspirational, both in terms of quality of his humor and also how he goes about achieving it. And honestly, just as a viewer, he's very funny, dude. Like, he's yeah. just it's yeah. hilarious watching him. Yeah. Uh, and Dave Chappelle again, because he's in a way, uh, and I'm not saying I have his style, but he's in a way the closest that I have seen to my like on-stage style. Like you know, I'm also very cocky. I'm like, guys, I am the best. Don't do it. like, come on. Okay? and I and I love Dave Chappelle for that. He's very himself. You know, mm-hmm. this is a cliche amongst us con- uh, comedians, right? Find find your voice. When I see Dave Chappelle, I'm like, man, he's really found his voice. He says what he wants to say, and even the say most politically incorrect things or correct things he says it and at the same time he makes it funny
0: yeah
1: so that yeah. for me is just very very inspirational
0: favorite calcutta restaurant you said barbecue yes Where bar- is bar- how come i've never been to barbecue
1: barbecue is on park street okay. uh it's right next to uh i mean mocambo and everything is there where yeah
0: especially huh. on that
1: main park street Yeah. And uh, I love Park Street because, again, it's just... uh, uh, I love barbecue because a lot of my childhood memories are there as friends used to go there, eat a lot. And I just really love their food. Uh, I love their naan, uh, paneer butter masala. I'm a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And uh, barbecue is also connected to this flavors of China. It's one whole restaurant only. So you can order starters from there. These are just tips now. These are just food tips now. Order the Chinese from flavor of China. And then for the main course... Stick to Indian from there, and it's it's really good. I, I'm surprised you haven't been there.
0: Yeah, maybe because there are non-vegetarian.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. You'll get good non-vegetarian there also. But like, I, I mean, there are one. That's the good thing about Calcutta. There are so many places.
0: <laughs> that's true. Okay, I wanted you to recommend one standard special, and you again keep it real and Dave Chappelle which I think you already talked about. Unless you wanna talk something about the specials as such.
1: I, again, with both of them, uh, I like how it's actually a special.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, it, it is a special. It's not mm-hmm. just stand-up sets a lot of times. And mm-hmm. even if it's, it's 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 just very funny, dude. Like, I, I I mean, at the end of the day, cut everything out. It's just very funny. Yeah. And again, yeah. the other one that I mentioned, which is Ronnie Chang's, I think it's yeah. Asian Dest- uh, Destroys America or something like that. Again, for me, it was very close to my style. Uh, hmm. And just very funny.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. everything said and done, eventually, stand up is supposed to be funny. So I'm like, these yeah. guys are very funny.
0: Best thing about dating apps, I asked you because we have discussed a lot in yes. in our conversations yes. about relationships and how, like, whatever. Uh, but you said the best thing about them is that you can uninstall them. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it? But, about okay, so apps. it's
1: not like I'm not on them. Okay, but yeah. I have a love-hate relationship with the apps in the sense that it's not that the apps have done anything to me it's just that i get tired of the process sometimes it's again like talking to someone hi hello what do you do oh you do this oh wow what is your it's just the process is a little exhausting for me uh, mm. so that's why i'm like it's not like i hate it and neither i'm a fan uh, but it's 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 good on some days it's bad on some days it's just mm. boring on most days this is what i have found
0: uh, best comedian to write for, and again, we talked about it, but the reason I asked you this is because you've written for a lot of comedians uh, and you picked Biswa. What makes yeah. Biswa different to write for than other comedians?
1: man, firstly, people love giving feedback, as you know, okay, and most feedback that you will get is bullshit. Uh, you've been on enough projects now, kV to know this yeah. but biswa when Biswa gives feedback, it makes so much sense i I think Biswa is one person. Uh, who strike rate when it comes to giving feedback and it making sense for me has been the highest like he gives feedback I'm like yeah should, should have done that and second thing is I learn a lot from him because he's again very funny uh, someone who has great stand-up specials you know great stand-up comedian in general and I genuinely find him super funny so I think I learn a lot from him also when say I'm on writing projects uh, with mm-hmm. him
0: one thing you want to achieve as a comedian, and you said something very interesting, you said you just want to achieve a stand-up set that you can proudly show to people and not be embarrassed about it. Which is, which of course is a topic worthy of an entire episode, uh, where a lot of times we do things that we are not necessarily proud of. Uh, Sometimes we also see people doing things that we believe, we know them enough to know they might not be proud of, but we still do it. Uh, So do you want to talk about it? Like, do you think your stand-up, for instance, is not something that you're proud of? Or you're still achieving it? Or uh, like, like, what, what is it all about?
1: I'm proud of my stand-up in the sense mm. that I think it's quite funny. It mm. works most of the time. Under no impression that it's the best mm. or anything. But mm. I mean, now, to be fair to myself, also seen a lot of comedians in terms mm. of being funny on stage or, you know, doing well. I think I do fairly well. But mm. I hate seeing myself on screen. Mm. Okay, like I'm one of those people who does something and then I don't want to see it unless like I have to edit it or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And like there are very few times when when I go to people and I'm like, dude, see this, you know, see a joke or see a post. So Mm -hmm. the point is that ideally I want to achieve a set where uh, I can go to my friends or cousins or, you know, come to a comedian also and be like, guys, see this and you know at that point it won't matter what you think about it Mm. like I want to reach that stage where I'm like
0: man this was really good for me
1: I mean Mm. I don't care what you all think but you see this buddy I am proud of this
0: yeah I wonder why we didn't even like we were talking about looking at ourselves and I completely we didn't address how uh, you and I are Confused sometimes by people. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs>
1: oh. I
0: can't ever forget that I was doing a show in Lucknow and I was at backstage. I was going up, or I just finished my part and I was going down, and someone came and said, Big fan and everything. And I was like, Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks. And he said, Man, you should have one comic stand or something like that. And I'm like, Oh man, this is a sorrow. I'm like, oh, oh thanks, man. Thanks. You're like, you're really good. Every round you were so good. And I'm like, hmm, cool. <laughs> okay. green room. Mein. <laughs> like, fuck. You oh, know, one of the
1: funniest post for me was on Instagram, we get tagged on things, right? So yeah. one day I opened a story and KV, you were, I'm not kidding you. One person had taken a picture with you and had tagged me and he was not going for a joke. You know, he sincerely yeah. thought that he yeah. had met you. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, yeah. this is insane. Like, You can see now, though, at least.
0: Yeah, maybe it was the same guy. Maybe. (laughs) Same Lucknow guy. (laughs) To be sure. Yeah. One investment advice. And again, uh, to give people context, I asked it. Because you work in finance, you also uh, do uh, discuss a lot of finance. And we are those uh, people who who usually play very safe with our financial decisions. And you said, uh, believe in equity. You want to elaborate on that?
1: I honestly discovered like stock markets and equity a little later in life, even though uh, like I used to, uh, like I wouldn't work in finance, but I was in a company which was mm-hmm. finance related. And the reason I say that is uh, people are so scared of, uh, you know, trying out things and everything and money plays a very important role. Let's be honest. And I I feel one of the best ways to get some sense of, you know, financial independence, be it at 30, 40, 50, 60 years. If you just, you know, invest a little in stocks. Just buy an index fund or anything. It will help you gain money that you wouldn't have otherwise gained. And I sincerely believe that if you let it run for a while, it'll help you achieve dreams that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to. And it's important, I think, especially in our like for our generation because with FD rates and all, barely even helping you with inflation, like beat inflation. I think this is something that Which people taught taught us in schools. Because Mm -hmm. money is everything. People keep underplaying that "Mm, money. But so many decisions. And Corona especially has taught us that there can be a year and a half, two years when nothing can happen. Imagine if I was doing business right now for a year and a half, my shop would have been closed. How much money can you make? Mm -hmm. Even by call or anything. So Mm -hmm. that's why just invest as much as you can in equity and let time do its thing. And, uh, you know, you will eventually enjoy it.
0: Mm-hmm. My benefits. Favorite said, cricketer, again, uh, I ask, because we watched a lot of cricket together. Uh, and no surprises there as a true bong. And maybe to compensate for your criticism of Calcutta <laughs> earlier, uh, you've got the sort of Ganguly. Any words on sort of Ganguly?
1: Man, Ganguly is genuinely my all-time favorite cricketer. And this is not me pandering to my base, uh, because I love what Dada brought to our team. Do you see the change in my voice right now? That it's passion suddenly. Okay. And this is not fake. I really love how Dada transformed our team. You know? Because I was a diehard cricket fan. Still I'm a diehard cricket fan. And I saw how we were clobbered in the 90s. And there came Dada against the mightiest Australian team. And he was like, I don't care, dude. Okay. And I'm like, I I really admire Dada because I am that Puchu Indian. You know, like a lot of times I don't have that confidence or anything. But Dada was like, Oh, you can do Just whatever it is, we'll fight. And I, there are greater cricketers. Like Sachin is a better batsman. There's no doubt about that. Okay. Dhoni might be a better captain in terms of strategic decisions and everything. Okay. Kohli is again an insane batsman, etc, etc. But Dada brought something that we didn't have. We've mm-hmm. had great batsmen. You get it? We've had great strategic people, but Dada brought fresh attitude that we're still winning because of, I feel. I don't feel the last two decades we would have transformed to this Kohli of the present if there was no
0: Dada. So true. So true. And of course, we ended on a very uh, 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 advisory note where I said, One advice that you would give randomly to strangers who are listening to this, you said plan, but go for it. You know, nowadays,
1: basically, uh, people are like, just blindly take a risk or they're too conservative. I feel there is a balanced way that you can go about things. Um, There is plan a little bit. You know, like we touched upon it earlier also, plan a little bit that, okay, what if this fails for two years? Do I have enough money? or am i even good enough to do this or slowly slowly inch into things know that okay i'll write first i'll go for some you know shows in calcutta before say just shifting to bombay etc cetera, etc cetera. so try a little bit plan but at the same time don't over plan like go for it i think that's what happens to us sometimes in stand up right mm-hmm. that this is not the perfect set or it's aur, mm-hmm. aur. Mm-hmm. so plan till a certain extent don't be completely crazy mm-hmm. but then go for it you got to sometimes Because everything said and done, we are where we are. The fact that we are having this conversation is because both of us someday were like, this is a little crazy, but I think let's go for it. So go
0: for it. Thank you, man. Thank you, Saurabh, for coming to Random Musings and talking to us about so many things. Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: Thank you.